0: Here we are for one of the most important chapters in the book of Acts, in my opinion. And yet it is almost completely ignored, especially in congregations that preach congregational autonomy or in congregations where they are ruled by a board, sometimes called elders, uh, sometimes called shepherds, but a local board of men. It's usually just men, but regardless, men or women, that make the decisions for the local church and feel a power to make them however they wish Uh, and that can be anything about the color of carpet in a sanctuary to whether you call it a sanctuary or an auditorium or who gets hired and fired and who gets um, what literature will be used all of these decisions and then you come upon acts 15 and acts 15 is very inconvenient for anyone who wants to claim that they are building a New Testament church because, well, it breaks many of the molds of those who think we are supposed to be restoring a certain pattern. Either they don't want to restore what they find here, or they are appalled that what we find here is really not interested in imposing a pattern or restoring a pattern. All right, you might have read this before. But let's have a good look at Acts 15. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers. And here's a quotation from them. Quotation marks were not available, had not been created when this was written. So we have to, in context, figure out who was saying what. These fellows were saying this. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. A declarative statement making a bold claim. Unless you have been circumcised by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Please remember that one of the big issues uh, in early Christianity was how Jewish do you have to be to be a Christian? Jews can be Christians. Obviously, they made up the bulk of Christians in those early years uh, for quite some time. But when Gentiles came in, how much Jewishness was covered? When the the law, how much of that law applies forever and to all? That's a question which still remains. So this is what they were declaring. Now these kind of declarative sentences are used frequently by ministers or by people on Twitter or anywhere. Please understand something. An assertion is not an argument. If I, for example, um, I can remember my father, who has passed on now, very, very rigid, whenever we let our little girl go spend uh, a week or so with them, and it was a very, very hot time. And so we had sent her with some shorts and with a little swimsuit, hoping that she could paddle in a creek or something nearby. When we came back, we found that those had never been used because his statement was Christians don't wear shorts and Christians don't swim. Well those are certainly assertions they're not accurate Uh, I looked at him I said are you saying then if you swim you're not a Christian and he went all silent my father was not one for discussions the um, and they always went bad (laughs) always went sideways once started Uh, and we just let him know well listen on hot times of the year then she can't come to your house because we're not letting this little girl who spent her first few years in Scotland uh, start burning up because um, of your declarative statements. They're not arguments. I can say things like, um, you know, guns are bad or guns are good. Both of those are assertions. They're not arguments. You have to mass your data. You have to get your evidence. You have to arrange it into a logical, rational form. And then you have to deliver it at a pace the other person can understand and If they feel led to do so parry and dispute then you've got an argument and you might be able to find some light some wisdom and maybe you'll move maybe they'll move but the likelihood is both of you can shift a bit because now you've had a good argument these people weren't making an argument they were just God has said if you're not circumcised according to the law of Moses uh, I'm not sure how you'd be circumcised in another way but leave that alone circumcised and by the law of Moses then you cannot be saved this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. You know, we expect Paul every so often to be sharp, but when you've got Barnabas riled up, you've gone pretty far. Now, that would be like having uh, the late Mother Teresa coming and kicking you in the shins. You must have done something pretty bad, All right? So Paul and Barnabas, were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about the question. Oh my! I was raised in a we speak where the Bible speaks, we're silent where the Bible is silent. We are we are the New Testament Church, and that's the way it was phrased. And even when they gave us Bibles as kids, um, we had. We were told we had nothing against the Old Testament, but almost all of our Bibles just had the New Testament, and a few of them had psalms, proverbs and maps in the back. But th- we were told this is our job is to make- we are a first century church and we do things in first century ways. So when we have disputes, where's the home church we send our representatives to to get an answer from? Well, they're going, no, 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 no. All all congregations were autonomous. In other words, they all were independent and they all made their own decisions. Nope. Here, very early in Christian history, we see that there is a problem. There is a doctrinal dispute which is causing issues among the churches. And their first response is... Let us get representatives and send them to our home church, Jerusalem. Now, right now, that's when the squirming, you can hear the squirming. If you open your windows a bit, you can hear the squirming. And I squirmed when I read this for the longest time, before I began to realize God wasn't calling us to a pattern, but to a person, to Christ. But those who demand a pattern get blown up in this chapter in two or three different ways. So hang in with us. The church sent them on the way. That's their home church. As they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So another interesting thing here. When they arrived, they reported to the church. That's the gathered body of believers. The word church never referred to a building. Like, let's go to church, or our church is the red one at the corner. That, uh, and by the way, that is the way the word is used in English today. So I don't correct anybody when they said, "Oh, we just left church ten minutes ago." I don't say you left a building because you know, come on, that's arrogance and being impolite. And also, it doesn't show a realization that linguistics changes, words change meaning. In this day and time, a church was a voluntarily gathered community. Now, that could be for worship. It could be for religious purposes. It could be for political purposes. It could be for governance. Whenever you would call the leading citizens together and they'd come out to make some decisions, that was called an ecclesia, a gathering. Those called out. And I said uh, voluntary, and I think I'm going to stick with that, although you can find in ancient times some of the uses of the words where they were forced into it. By and large, this was a voluntary gathering. So their congregation is probably what we would say. Sends them, and as they go on their way, they tell the good news of Jesus. When they arrive at the Jerusalem church, they tell that congregation everything that God has done and how wonderful things are the apostles are also there. Evidently this was still a center for the apostles. Some went far afield like Thomas and Philip, but it seems that many just were right there. And then there were the elders. Well, who are the elders? In some churches, an elder is an office, and what happens is that they will go grab some things out of Timothy and Titus and meld it into one list and they'll say, if you meet these qualifications, we'll make you be an elder. Uh, You know, then you will have meetings and make decisions about budgets and doctrinal issues and colors of carpet. Uh, Others uh, don't use the Timothy Titus thing. And by the way, we have covered those in this series because those books were written before this book. So please, please go back and renew and revisit that concept of elders elders however in this time <coughs> was were not a position as much as a position of life these are people that had spent their life living among the people and their reputations were intact they were considered wise they were the people that you would go to for information you see once upon a time kids you didn't have the internet and you didn't have libraries and you did not have access to outside information And if you were born in, uh, like I was in the 50s or the 60s, you didn't even have a periodic um, chart of the, uh, a guide to periodicals where you'd go and try to find the information libraries. No, you you didn't have that. You would go to the people that had lived among you honorably, successfully, and well. By successfully, sure, that could mean business, but really the gut core of this was successful morally, um, successful in their family and as a as a giving, working, contributing member of the community. So it wasn't an office per se. In fact in a Churches of Christ that was a big argument back in the 1800s, early 1900s, and one of their major universities which is still in existence, Lipscomb University, is named after David Lipscomb who was one of the early pioneers and shapers of the doctrine of the Churches of Christ through his Gospel Advocate periodical and his books, and his teaching. He, he died firmly believing this is not an office. It is a place where you are in life. And so the gathered wise people are there, as well as the apostles, as well as the whole church. There are no doors separating them. Uh, which is also interesting. The elders don't go off somewhere and make a decision. They're all right there and that's fascinating and that's something we could spend an hour on but we're trying to keep these to a half hour now so and because 45 minutes to 50 minutes was becoming a burden to some. We don't want that to happen. Um, there's also something else here which I find very laudable if I'm going somewhere because I have an issue, a problem, and potentially very divisive thing occurring, I generally will go in and say, Hey guys, here I am. And I lead with that. This chapter humbles me because this chapter, the first thing they want to talk about is how good God is and how wonderful things God, what wonderful things, God is doing among the Gentiles. They're just so excited about God that their excitement about God takes precedence over their issues and arguments. Imagine what the world would be like if Christians, including me, had that attitude today. I think it's an indictment on us, but it's also an example to which we we, we must attain. Well, he goes, when they come to Jerusalem, they were welcomed. Um, Verse five, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Now, once again, the Pharisees are playing the part of the bad guys here, but it's not really fair. The Pharisees did what they did not to be bad, not to be cruel, but to protect God's reputation, his religion, and his people. They felt that you had to draw very firm lines that God wanted you to have very firm lines that on this side, the, the people are the people of God. On the other side, they are not, and you don't let these things blend. And the Pharisees had many moral laws and purity laws that um, would, would be picked up later, uh, especially in Western societies, and Victorian Christianity, and uh, early fund- American fundamentalism Christianity, which stacked more and more moral requirements, purity culture, everything else on us that God didn't do. But they stand up and they, they lead with the issue. And I, I'm not going to attack them for this because that was the issue on the table. Plus, Paul and Barnabas had just been talking about how all of these Gentiles were coming to Jesus. And these Pharisees were very, very concerned that they, they hadn't come far enough. Now, this attitude is still there. Uh, I get it frequently whenever I talk to people about membership at Our Safe Harbor. We say, all you need to do, and please do this, is write an email to info at Our Safe Harbor Church. Uh, our safe, I'm sorry, let me do that again. Info at OurSafeHarbor.com oursafeharbor.com, and give us your name, your address, your email and phone number, and we'll put you on the membership list. And I've had people say, what about baptism? We preach baptism, we baptize, but isn't it interesting that whenever we say, whosoever whosoever, uh, will may come, that our first instinct is to leap in the way between Jesus and whoever wanted to come and say, but there are some other things. You must meet the requirements that we understand to be binding. Quite a bit of hubris there, don't you think? Anyway, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. Now that does seem to be at least a sidebar, if not a separate meeting. Uh, So the whole church isn't yelling back and forth, the apostles and the elders. Now you might think, well, they had the apostles. The apostles just make a decision. The apostles had not been called by God to make decisions. They had been called to talk about Jesus. The elders here are just the experienced Christians at the Mother Church, Jerusalem, where they are. These are wise people that their opinions are trusted. So we're coming to them honestly, not to get them to do what we want, but rather to have them tell us what they think is best. In many churches, the elders are basically mouthpieces for whatever allowed persons in the congregation. If they're powerful, if they give a lot, they have either even more so. To where there have been times I've looked at church leaders and put leaders in quotation marks that call themselves elders or shepherds and say, if all you are doing is repeating what you are being told and you're bringing that concern as if it wasn't really yours, it's theirs. What do we need you for? We, you're, you're just a pipe. You're an answering machine, but you're supposed to be wise and counseling the person with the issue rather than just coming and saying, hey, listen, we've all got this issue. No, hang on. Well, these people did pull back or off to the side, no way to know, and they talked to each other. Uh, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, Paul made, uh, God made a choice. He made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith what if we were to go through this chapter and we were to to substitute baptism for the word circumcision only then can you really understand the weight of what Peter just said he said um, because to them circumcision was massively important and yet he stands and he goes you remember it wasn't that long ago that I was called to Cornelius's house and God accepted the Gentiles and he knows their heart And he cleansed their heart by faith. There was never a circumcision asked for. It wasn't brought up. No matter how important it had been for well over a thousand years, it wasn't mentioned at all because God will take care of it by faith. He knows their heart. If you were to say this today, Peter would be run out of most evangelical churches as a helpless liberal, not because he believes you can be saved by faith, most evangelicals do, but because he was, (coughs) excuse me, seemed to be ignoring the written law and tradition and the rules that had held the body together and just said, let him in if they want in, God will take care of it. How many, there have been times that um, I've had friends who had moved to an area where there would be a church that was not like their home church. It was of a different religious tribe, but they really enjoyed it. And there was no church like their old church around. And they would go and say, we'd like to be members here. And I remember one in specific, they said, well, you'll have to be baptized. And they said, we were baptized. We were immersed for the remission of our sins as a response of faith to God. And the people said, no, but you'll have to be baptized again to be a member here. And they came to me and they said, what, what do we do? Well, we talked, I'm not gonna tell you what I said because their situation will be different than anybody else's situation. But they, it, it bothers me that we can look at somebody and say, well, you really wanna to come to Jesus and um, you believe in him and okay, let's throw a whole bunch of things down you gotta do before we'll let you in our group. Peter here is saying God didn't do that with the Gentiles. He just as much as it appalls us he didn't seem to have the standards we did he just loved them and brought them in he goes now then why do you try to test god you got your attention peter's saying why are you trying to test god by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear This is serious stuff and I want you to hear it and hear it well. Why would we bind rules of purity and ethics and behavior on others that we've never been able to hold to ourselves? And neither have our fathers, any of them. None of us have been perfectly pure. None of us have been perfectly ethical. Some of us tried, but blew it many times, not once or twice, many times. Why are we so harsh to judge others when the law really hits us? As C.S. Lewis put it, you don't really break the law, the law breaks you. It um, It is appalling to see, as I have seen over the last few years, one after another church leader uh, have to be resign in shame, or worse, not resign in shame when it is found that they have sexually abused young people, uh, or anybody, or used their power and their position for sexual and monetary gain. It's it's appalling. But you know what even makes it more appalling is that all the while they were preaching purity to others. Paul. Peter here is not saying, "Listen, we sleep with who we sleep with, and we can uh, we can hurt others." No, he's just saying, "Listen, you're coming about circumcision because circumcision's easy. We could quibble, circumcision's easy. It is outer. It is an action once done and then forever. But you're trying to bind a law on the Gentiles. Circumcision is just a small part of it. There are more laws behind it." And they are laws that none of us were able to keep well. That's why we needed Jesus. We need to be open about our sins and our failures and our ethical lapses. I don't know what you want to call them. All the words seem to be too weak. He goes instead. no, no. We believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. I believe I've told this story before on a, on a midweek Bible study, but just in case I haven't, Jeffrey Dahmer was an awful, horrible murderer, raper, uh, and a cannibal. And it just, um, I don't want to go into the stories, but he would, he would uh, catch young men, sexually abuse them, kill them, and then actually eat them. Caught, sentenced to life in prison, uh, sometime after, he came across a Bible study group, and he sat with them, and by all outward appearances, he was convicted of uh, the preciousness of life, the sin that he had committed, and that Christ was the Son of God, and he was actually baptized. This is not a quick thing. This took place over many, many, many months of of study and prayer and contact with him. Uh, This is somebody else. This is not my story. Later, uh, some prisoners caught Jeffrey Dahmer in the shower and beat him to death. The question was then asked at a particular church where I was serving at the time, is Jeffrey in heaven? And most, most everybody there said, no, 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 he isn't. No, no, because it's just too much. And my response was, if he didn't go, you don't go. If, if after repentance and after confession, and after the changing of your life, he was even baptized, God judges the heart. Could it have all been a show? Oh sure, prisoners can do that. But we have no right to assume that. We are saved by grace. And if Jeffrey was um, honest in his repentance and his turning to God, he was saved by grace too. Grace is offensive when it's applied to others. It's very welcome when it comes to us, offensive when it comes to others. Well, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul argue. No, no, they were still not doing the argument thing. They were just excited about what God was doing. So what were they saying? Telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they'd finished, James spoke up. Who's, Who's James? there were so many people named james and there are so many varieties of names that we translate as james that it's hard to say we believe that this was uh, jesus's brother also a son of, of joseph and mary i'm aware that the catholics believe that the words for brother there also mean cousins i would contest that but i believe that catholics are my brothers and sisters in christ therefore I'll only contest it if they want to sit down and talk about it. I don't make it a deal, all right? But this is known historically as a brother of Christ. There are some other options that some scholars have tried to go for and with more or less um, convincing data. Regardless, James now is a spokesman for the elders. So hang on, we have a mother church. We have people coming in to ask questions of that and get a binding answer. And then we have... One elder speaking for the group. That's not what James. That's not what Paul talked about in Timothy and Titus, but it certainly worked here, and it was the pattern. Well, James speaks, brothers, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself, creating. You know, the Jews. And the words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men who seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, that has been known for ages. Listen to what happens next. It is my judgment, therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Some versions, it seems right not to make it harder than it has to be. Anybody else have a sigh of relief that maybe God has accepted you a long time before human beings got around to it? Human beings make it hard. I can remember uh, a uh, we had done a revival but it had to be done the, the church where it was didn't have a building so we had rented out a a veterans hall now the veterans drank a lot and so one whole side were beer signs and bar which uh, just made me fascinated I was just a young guy uh, probably 12 maybe so we were there um and every night we would have our meeting and during the day we'd be going out knocking on doors and asking people to come hear about jesus well our church was extremely conservative Uh, we our hair never got long enough to part and we never really needed combs it it was you know we were dressed you you dressed up to go to church because we were told well if you're going to see the queen of england you dress up wouldn't you not understanding that that argument has nothing to do with walking with jesus 24 7 and then going to a building but people are funny regardless and i remember that we had some people come visit us and they sat and they they paid attention and they were singing the songs a bit they're trying to learn them but they were hippies back in the day long hair shabby clothes peace symbols Right, uh, I wondered, what are we, we going to do? Well, the people were very, very friendly to them. And that made me happy. And then later I got sad. Because as they were sitting around talking later, when the, those people had gone, the hippies were away, saying, you know, we got to welcome them, we got to love them. And, you know, once, once we get them to you know, understand who Jesus is, well, you know, then they're going to cut their hair and take a bath. What? Why are you making this harder than it has to be? In my judgment, therefore, it is we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. They have different ways. They have different cultures. They have different songs. They dress differently. They eat different. They come from different places mentally, psychologically, and culturally. We can't make them be us. And we can't make it harder than it has to be if God saves by grace already established here, if God purifies our heart by faith already established here, why would we add to that when everyone here, according to Peter, and nobody stood up and said, that's not true. Everybody in that church has sinned and is sinning and has issues. Why would we make it hard for others? In fact, he stripped it down. And we're going to stop here and do the next, the, the next bit of it uh, next week. He said, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. All right, you know something, there's nothing in there easy to understand unless you know the culture unless you know the backstory, There's not one part of what he said. It comes down to this. Just tell them, don't hang around pagans and act like pagans. That's a big deal. Because pagans centered around the food, the sacrifices, and the temples. And that was their business place, that was their entertainment place, and it was their worship place. And he's saying, just tell them, don't, don't be like pagans. But then what's that? next bit he's saying if people want to know the law of moses and if people want to follow it they can get that moses has been preached in the synagogues every sabbath so is it okay for christians to be circumcised sure is it okay for christians to keep holy days of the jews sure do they have to no so we don't judge each other. And by the way, that was a big portion of 1 Corinthians and the book of Romans. Don't criticize each other just because somebody's doing what you don't want to do or you don't even think should be done. You leave them alone. As Romans 14, I think it's verse 22 says, whatever opinion you have about these matters, keep it to yourself. Hmm. Well now, there's a cliffhanger. Look forward to seeing you next week on July the 13th. God bless. Don't make things harder than they have to be.